We, how should we respond? We saw how that woman responded to the Lord Jesus Christ out of, out of her depths of, of, of joy and, and love for what he had done for her. We don't know who this woman was. Some people think it might be Mary Magdalene. and Maybe it was that woman that we read about in the Gospel that, that, that came, was brought before Jesus to be stoned for her adultery and, you know, and Jesus wrote in the ground. Or maybe it was just somebody that had heard the Lord Jesus speaking. And she'd heard somehow, we don't know how, but God's Spirit had spoken to her through what Jesus said. And uh, she comes looking for him to show her her love. That's what forgiveness looked like for this woman. What does forgiveness look like for us? Well, the truth is, isn't it? We, the truth is we, we should... We know what the response should be. The response should be that we seek to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love our neighbors. And we know there's a very wide definition of neighbors. To love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what God looks for. That is the right response. If we truly understand what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, if we truly understand all that Christ has opened up for us in this life and in the life and eternity to come, if we understand that, if we had any, any understanding of that, just even a little understanding of this great big vista that's opened up, then surely the right response is that we would want to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our lives, with all that we have. And we'd want to follow his commands to love one another. We express that love for him and for others in a whole myriad of ways. But in the last few minutes, I just want to look at one that is particularly important. And it relates to often what Jesus said himself about forgiveness. He said that we should... Well, even as we're taught to pray, isn't it? Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that have trespassed against us. And we could look at other things, quite a few passages, things that Jesus said about forgiveness. And nearly always he he connected the forgiveness that we receive to the forgiveness and the, the grace that we've received to the grace and the forgiveness that we should give to others. He made those direct connections several times in the Gospels. And the, and the writers of the New Testament, Paul and John, uh, I can think of particularly maybe Peter too, I don't know, but they also make those very same connections between the forgiveness and the love that, and the grace that we've received is the very same thing that we should now be expressing. Again, it can't be of our own. It has to be of God working through us because we haven't got it in us. But by being available to his grace, that somehow his transforming work can work in our lives that we should forgive. And we should forgive. Jesus taught us to forgive. As disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should seek to, to honor and obey him in every way. And he taught that very explicitly, very directly. We cannot avoid it. It's not a gray area. It's black and white in that sense. That as we have been forgiven, we must also forgive And I stop and pause there because I think this is such a big issue. 
for many people. It's been an issue for me, and no doubt it will be an issue again in the future. A big issue. That we need to be able to forgive those who have trespassed against us. And we also need to be able to receive forgiveness for th- from, or at least seek to, to, receive forgiveness from those that we have trespassed against. That's what the Lord Jesus said in clear, categorical terms. No ifs, no buts. That's what I ask you to do. I ask you to do it because the debt that I've forgiven you is just so much bigger. It is so, I've forgiven you so much. I'm asking you to forgive in comparison this much. It might seem huge to you, but compared to what I've forgiven you, it's this small. That's what I'm asking. As my followers, as people who love and follow and seek to obey my truth. And as we do that, we demonstrate God's power and love. I was talking last night to to Matt and Margaret about something else that's uh, in Robert Chapman's Chapman's biography. Um, This is another story. I'm not sure if I've told this already here, if I have, forgive me. But Robert Chapman was a a contemporary of Muller. His church was in Barnstable. And there's still a thriving assembly, a church in, in Barnstable. Dan and I want to know one or two of the people there. Church of over 400. This is the church that Robert Chapman founded all those years ago. And uh, Robert Chapman was a godly man. A very godly man. A very loving man. One day, early on in his, in his time in Barnstable, he was out in the open air and he was preaching. And he was preaching from the Bible. And there was this guy who, who, was, who was a grocer nearby. And he was, came out of his shop and he was cursing Robert Chapman. And he was cursing him and he shouted at him. He threatened him. He went up to Robert Chapman and he spat in his face while he's preaching. A few weeks later, Robert Chapman um, was visited by a friend of his. Robert Chapman lived a very humble life. And so although he constantly had people staying with him, he didn't actually have much in the house to feed them with or whatever else. And so this chap said, don't worry, Robert, I'll go and get the vegetables. I'll go and get all that we need to feed on for the next whatever, however long I'm staying with you. And so he said, give me a list, you know, as we do, as we do from our wives, a list of all the vegetables and things that he needed to go. Well, we did in the old days. It's all different now, isn't it, with supermarkets probably. But... um, and the, anyway, Robert Chapman said, okay, this, here's, thank you. Here's the list of all the things we need. He said, go and get them from this particular shop. Uh, that's the shop to go to. And so he went to the, this chap went to the shop and he ordered all these things. And at the end of his order, the, the, the grocer said, you know, this is a really big order. I'm so pleased you've come here. He said, but I don't know you. Why have you come to my shop? And the man just said that, well, Robert Chapman told me particularly to come and buy from you. He didn't say any more. He didn't know any more. He was quite surprised, that customer, because this man began to cry. Because he said, Robert Chapman asked you to come to my shop? And of course, later the story came out that he was the man who spat, who threatened, physically threatened, abused Robert Chapman, but Robert Chapman, without saying any of this to his friend, without making an issue of it, sent him to buy all this stuff deliberately from that shop 
so that he might show grace to this man who'd not shown any grace towards him. Can you imagine? Can you, here am I, I don't know how many years later, telling you that story. And I guess that story, if you're like me, has some effect. Can you, can you see how wide, how great the testimony can be when grace is at work? When grace is being exhibited, can you see how it works its way out? How cycles of ungrace can be broken? Not just in, in societies, but in, in individuals' lives. How that brings glory to God. Because forgiveness brings freedom. Forgiving people brings freedom for them and indeed for us. Do you remember? I mean, many of you will remember the story going back to the 1990s of the Enniskillian bombing, won't you? That was, a, that was a defining moment in the Irish Troubles. On that, on that Remembrance Day in Enniskillion, when a bomb went off at a Remembrance Day um, service or parade, and innocent people who were at that, at that service were killed, including the daughter of John Wilson. And Don, John Wilson himself was severely injured. And John Wilson was lying under the rubble with his daughter. And she was dying. His last words, he says, his last words to her, her last words to him was, Daddy, I love you. And she died. And how did John Wilson respond to this? Can you remember? Well, how he responded went across all the airwaves. Because he, when he was able to speak after his injuries, which is quite quickly afterwards, he said, these words, I bear no ill, I bear no grudge, no, I bear no ill will, I bear no grudge, I forgive them. And he appealed to the paramilitaries, the lawyers, he appealed, do not take any revenge, do not do anything in response to this. Please, I beg you, do not continue this cycle of, of, of violence. He said also, some time later, he said, I pray for those men who did it every night. And I'll pray for them every night of my life. That they might know God's forgiveness. That is looked upon, John Wilson's response is looked upon by many as the, de- as the turning point in the troubles in Ireland. That one man in that act of forgiveness brought about such a change that went right across the world. One, it was the terribleness of the, of the incident itself, the actual horror of those people being killed, but it was his response. Various people since who analyzed the troubles in Northern Ireland point to John Wilson and say that man was at the turning point, the turning of the tide that brought Ireland back into some sort of normality. Of course, he became a great campaigner after that for peace. And he used to meet both with leaders of the IRA and leaders of the loyalist paramilitaries. Can you see how it can bring life and health? How it can break the cycle of ungrace, forgiveness? Here's what somebody else wrote though about forgiveness. He said, when we genuinely forgive, we set a prisoner free. And then we discover 
that the prisoner was us. When we genuinely forgive, we set a prisoner free. And then we discover, subsequently, that the prisoner was us. Because unforgiveness binds us. Unforgiveness grips us. Like those little shoes that those Chinese girls used to have their feet bound with. It, It restricts life. It restricts growth. It stops health. There's a lovely guy I've met at Manor House. If you come on Tuesday, if he's there, I'll introduce you. He's severely disabled. And he was, telling me, he was t- talking about his disability the other week. I'm sure he, won't. he was talking openly, so I think I can share this here. And uh, he said, when I was, when I was a young man, um, his disability is one of those, I don't understand these things, but uh, affects all of his, his muscles. And so his arms and his legs go all over the place when he's talking, and he, he finds it difficult to control them. So when he was a little boy, when he was a little boy, his parents thought that the way to deal with this was that they effectively put him in a straitjacket so that he couldn't hurt himself. He couldn't hit other people accidentally. So he lived, he lived in these like suits. And he said, he said, you know what? He said, now we realize that was the very worst thing to do. What he needed to do was actually to be able to move his muscles but gradually learn how to control them so that it wasn't all over the place. But they thought they were doing him a favor by restricting him. They weren't. They actually impeded his growth and his development, his health. And unforgiveness, folks, is like that. It it impedes our growth. It impedes our health. And I've met so many people, and I'm one of them, so I'm not trying to just point at other people. I've met so many people whose lives, Christians I'm talking about now, whose li- as well as non-Christians, and I could tell you some stories from my own, my own family in terms of unforgiveness and how it works out in family situations. But I've seen so many Christians whose lives are bound by unforgiveness because they, they think, in some ways they say they've forgiven, but they haven't, because actually, if you, and I can tell you one or two stories, but I haven't got time, but if you start to probe, you soon find that they haven't forgiven, because of the emotions and the reactions that it produces. They haven't actually been able to forgive. What they've done is they've pushed it under the carpet, they've pushed it to the furthest reaches of their mind, and hope that it's dealt with, but they never have really forgiven. They've never known the release that forgiveness, and it's a process. I'm not saying it's a one-off thing. For most of it, it's a process. What stops us forgiven? Well, we could look at this for ages, but we haven't got time. But basically, it's very simple. Most of the reasons we give, and 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 some of them are right and good reasons in one sense, or understandable reasons. But most of them pull down to this. It's pride. Pride stops us forgiving whether that be pride because we don't want other people to know, pride because it's mainly their fault or entirely their fault, pride because it's, it's um, you know, we, we don't want to get hurt and we think that somehow opening it up will, will cause that. And Jesus says, asks us to be humble. Asks us to be humble. And to repent. And he will provide the grace that we need. Some people say you can't forgive and forget. Who's asking you to forget? Is Jesus asking you to forget? By God's grace you may forget. 
He's not asking you to forgive and forget. He's asking you to forgive. He's asking you to forgive. Not wait for the other person to do what they should do. Not wait for the other person to make the move towards you. He's asking us to take the initiative and to do something about it. And by God's grace, to step out and say, Lord, this is really difficult. I don't want to do it, but I know I should. I know in my heart of hearts that's what you want me to do. I'm not talking about searching around, for scrabbling around to find things that you forgive. We know these things. The things I'm talking about, we know about them. They're there. Because I can talk now from experience, from my own personal life. But we can take the power away from these things. We may not forget, but we can drain them of their energy and their power and their life. Resentment, blame, continues to give them life, continues to feed them. In fact, these things can grow, get worse. But if we choose to forgive and go on choosing to forgive by God's grace, and we, then, then they can change. Those memories can change. And we have a role in this for each other. God is in a business of change, right? For all of us. Do we realize that? God is in the business of change. And it's ongoing change throughout the whole of our lives and beyond. God's in the business of change. The church is meant to be a community of change. We're meant to be able together and to provide a context for change. And here's one thing. If you, if you know what I've said today, bear some truth for you, and you know actually there's things that you need to give, let me, do, let me encourage you to do the thing that I was encouraged to do, and I did, and it was difficult. And the first thing I did was to find one other person, someone I trusted, not the person involved, not the person I needed to forgive. I went to this other brother and I said, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you the truth. I want you to listen to the truth about me. And I want you then to pray with me that I will then now do the thing that I know I need to do, and that's to take the step forward and try and seek for forgiveness with the, with the person who actually is involved. And that's what I did. If God has spoken to you this morning, and I've heard messages on forgiveness before, this is an opportunity, right? This is, could be a God-given opportunity for you to do something about it. And I'd ask you to do it. Because God wants you to do it. God will give you the grace to do it. God will work it through. It may not end up as you want it to end up. It may not be all roses and all the rest of it. But God can do that. But the truth is, do not just think about doing it. Don't just think, oh, that would be a good idea. If you're going to do something, then do something. And I tell you, often involving somebody else, making a statement to someone that you can confess to, someone that can hold you accountable in a sense, that's one of the ways in which we can be a community of change become more like the people that God wants us to be. And people will know the difference. Over time, people will know the difference. Like God's grace, let him produce his grace in us. Just this lovely quote to finish with. Tim Chester said uh, about the need for love and truth together, grace and truth together. He said, love without truth is like performing heart surgery with a wet fish. 
Truth without love is like performing heart surgery with a hammer. We need truth and we need love. And both of them come from the Lord Jesus Christ, who's full of grace and full of truth.